Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Justin Barrow. Joining me today is Brian. Hello. Morning, morning. Good morning. Uh, today we are going to talk about probably one of the most famous people in history, Benjamin Franklin. Old Ben lives a very, very interesting life. Um, most people know his name. Even if you ask average person on the street, they will say, I know who Ben Franklin is. I have heard of him once. Um, what do you know about Ben Franklin? Um, he is on the $100 bill. He invented a ton of stuff. And he electrocuted turkeys because he said they would be more tender. Well, there you have it. Podcast over. <laughs> uh, most people do think he was a president, primarily because I think he is, since he is on the $100 bill, people just mean, he's on, a, he's on a dollar bill, must be president. Well, that's wrong. Most people think he did invent electricity. He did he not. He did not, but he did, as you alluded to, really help us understand it. Uh, he did a lot of experimentation with it. Um, so he was one of the most famous people in the world during his lifetime. If he was alive today, he'd be probably considered an eccentric just because he was all over the place. And he had a lot of little quirks to him, um, but that's what made him extremely popular during his day. Um, and he'd probably have a very large following on TikTok or whatever social media platforms being used. Uh, so Ben was born in 1706 in Boston, Massachusetts. His father, Josiah, was a candle maker. Uh, he would marry twice and have 17 children between both marriages. That's a lot of children. That is a lot of kids. I have three. And I feel like that's a lot. That's 17 a, is just. That's at least eight per marriage. Wow. Yeah. That's almost like two baseball teams. I mean, uh, so 17 children, candle maker, Franklin's were impoverished. I don't think he would make a lot of money. As Not a making maker. a lot of money as a candle maker to feed 17 mouths plus yours and your wives. Uh, keep remember that uh, Franklin's uh, history with candle making. That's going to come back up. Ben was the 10th and youngest son in the family Ben really wouldn't have a bright future ahead of him. Primarily because eldest son got to inherit everything. And since he was the 10th son in that long line, there was no inheritance coming his way. At one point, his father thought about offering him as a tithe to the congregational church as a student for the ministry. His dad was didn't have enough money to pay the 10% tithe that was required by the church. So he decided to give up his son instead. Um... That's kind of odd. Church said no. Uh, ben would only get two years of formal education when he was eight and nine, primarily because the family couldn't afford to send him to school. After seeing how much education cost, Ben's father would be brought up uh, in his or Ben would be brought up in his father's shop where he would train to be a handyman. Uh, in his autobiography, Franklin would write about how much he hated this work. He said, I was employed in cutting wick for candles, filling the dripping mold and the mold for cast candles. Attending the shop, going on errands, I disliked the trade and had a strong indication for the sea, but my father declared against it. Uh, another thing, Franklin is always going to be obsessed with the ocean, water, and things like that. Even though he was not allowed to become a sailor, he became an excellent swimmer and a skilled handler of boats all on his own. Swimming isn't really that largely learned of a skill like back in those days. No. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's going to be an avid swimmer. At 10, he discovered the ability to lead. 
he organized a group of boys to borrow stones from houses that were being built and built himself a small fishing wharf. Uh that could lead to some construction problems. Yes. I don't know if the houses ever got finished, but the fishing wharf did. Um, By the age 12, he decided he wanted to become a printer. He would serve as his brother, Jamie's apprentice or James apprentice. Uh, Working in the printing press gave him access to the books, which is going to feed his quest for knowledge. Uh, He'd work during the day and read whatever he could during the night and during his lunch breaks. At the age of 16, he would begin writing. He would write 14 essays for the New England Courant, which is a newspaper, and he would use a false name, Silence Do Good. That was his name? That was his, yes, his, his writing name. Because, I mean, who's going to take a 16-year-old seriously writing for a newspaper? So he's like, I'm going to call myself Silence Do Good. Yeah, that, good point, yeah. And if you've ever seen National Treasure... His letters, the silence do get good letters, are part of the clue to find the national treasure. I haven't seen National Treasure. National treasure. Uh, the essays would be social critiques and be critical of the church, which is probably another reason why he went by the name Silence Do Good. Because um, you got to remember, he's living in Massachusetts. Massachusetts was founded by what group of people? Remember? Puritans. Oh, okay. Ultra, ultra conservative Christians, and they didn't really like people talking about them a letter that's why uh rhode island was formed oh really yeah to escape the puritans yeah oh it was puritans escaping the puritans it was like oh, peace we're out ah. mm-hmm. the letter became a point of contention between ben and james at one point his brother will uh basically uh box him and then cuff him <laughs> i don't even know what that means so he like beat he- him up and then he like Handcuffed him. A dispute was brought to their father, and their father sided with Ben. Uh, the family always believed that the dad liked Ben more than anybody else, so that's going to have some cause some family drama. Uh, ben decided to leave his brother's shop, but James would blackball him, and Ben wouldn't be able to find any jobs in the printing industry in the state of Massachusetts. So he's like, if I want to be a printer, I have to leave Boston. He figured... He had to leave in secret so his father wouldn't try to stop them. He had a friend tell a captain on a boat that Ben had gotten a naughty girl pregnant and had to leave. The captain bought it and agreed to take Ben. Three days later, he'd be in New York City with very little money and knowing knowing not anybody. That's a weird story. I mean, whatever gets you to New York. I guess. Uh, Franklin's time, though, in New York City is going to be short-lived. There was only one printer in town, William Bradford. Bradford told Franklin that he didn't need any help, but he did tell him that his son, who was also a printer, was in Philadelphia and needed help. Um, New York City during the early, mid-1700s is not really what we think of as a bustling metropolis. It's just kind of a small town. It's not even one of the more important cities within the English colonies. Uh, the big three are Philadelphia, Boston, and Charleston. It's like what we would think of like <clears throat> Boise today, kind of. Uh, probably a little bit more important, but yeah, it's not. It's not has. It doesn't have any clout whatsoever. It's not until the Erie Canal that New York City becomes like a, a powerhouse in like the eighteen twenties. All right. Uh, so Franklin was on his way to Philadelphia. Even though the cities were only a hundred miles apart, roads were so bad that Franklin decided to go by water. 
The journey, however, is not going to be a pleasant one. Storm ripped the rotten sails of his vessels, uh, tore his, the sails of his vessels to bits, driving the boat to Long Island. One drunken passenger fell overboard, but Franklin jumped into the water to save him. Once again, master swimmer. Now stuck in Long Island, Franklin would take a ferry to the mainland, putting him 50 miles north of Burlington, New Jersey, still 80 miles away from Philadelphia. Once he made it to Burlington, he discovered the next boat for Philadelphia didn't leave for four days. Reluctant to spend another night in a cheap inn, he strolled along Delaware River, luckily found a boat heading towards Philadelphia. And that's how he would get there. Uh, but once reaching Philadelphia, Franklin really didn't have much. And he was extremely hungry because he hadn't eaten really since he started his journey. So he's going the first thing he's going to do in Philadelphia, buy three rolls of bread. His future wife, who happened to see him do this, would write, his most awkward and ridiculous appearance as the strange youth walked down the street with a bread roll under each arm as he hungrily consumed the third. How would he consume the third if he was already I'm carried? I'm thinking like under his armpits and then he's just like hands up, armpits cinched. But he, he must have left a serious impression on his future wife because she remembered that. After eating, Franklin would then find a Quaker meeting and fell asleep. Uh, Philadelphia was a true metropolis. Um, because of religious freedom and the ease of getting land in Pennsylvania, it became an epicenter for immigrants. Uh, the open society would become the perfect environment for the young Franklin. Uh, Franklin, however, would find it very challenging to get work. He, he went to Bradford's press to find out that Bradford had already filled the vacant job. Bradford was nice enough, though, to give him breakfast and tell him of another job with Samuel Keimer. Man, he just has to go all over the country. If yeah, he he's just like, printing. he's on a wild goose chase trying to find a printing job. That just shows you how little printing uh, printing jobs there were back in the day. Yeah. It's like New York, we have a printer. Philadelphia, we have two. All right. Not a lot of people reading. Um Keimer, however, did not need a full-time employee, but both printers decided to give Franklin part-time work. So his foot is now in the door. When working part-time, Franklin would come in contact with Sir William Keith, who was governor of Pennsylvania's Low Counties, which is now Delaware. Ever been to Delaware? No. Not much there. I'll, I've driven through it, but... I think that's, I think it's a true drive-through state. Yeah. It looked the same as <laughs> the other three I was driving through. <laughs> Keimer saw great promise in Franklin. He promised to set up Franklin for business success by turning government printing his way. So what that means is he's giving all the uh, government, colonial government work, official documents, all that stuff. He's saying, all right, Franklin, I want you to print that stuff for me. So that's just a constant job for him. Uh, he also suggested that Franklin return to his father to get some financial assistance. Ben expressed doubts, but Keith sent a letter to try to win his uh, win Franklin's father's support. After two weeks on a boat, oops, back on a boat again, Franklin was met by his family, everybody but James. James is still a little perturbed at Franklin. Uh, Franklin's father declined to give any financial assistance to Ben. His father believed Franklin was way too young to be trusted with management of a business. Because Franklin's father wouldn't give him the money, Keith then promised to give Franklin the money himself. How old was he around this time? Probably like 18. Okay. That's old back then. Yeah. Like most people lived until they're like 40. So he's already like mid-aged. Keith then promised to give Franklin the money. 
He said, uh, though, that it would be better of Frank if Franklin went to England to buy the goods himself using a letter of credit from Keith. Unfortunately, the boat to England didn't leave for a couple of months, so Franklin would work in Grimer's print shop until then. Meanwhile, he was growing closer with Deborah Reed. Uh, he would even live with her family. The two thought about getting married, but Deborah's mother said they were too young at the age of 18. When it came to sale to England, Keith uh, started to ghost Franklin to use a modern term. So Franklin like keeps on like writing him letters like, Hey, can I get that line of credit from you that you told me? Can I get it? And then eventually Keith um, answered Franklin and said, the letters are going to be on the boat when you get on the boat. Well, Franklin got on the boat and started to head towards England and then came to realize that the letters were actually not on the boat. He had been duped. Franklin would arrive in London on Christmas Eve, 1724 with no jobs, friends, or money. I don't understand what happens here. I don't understand why this Keith guy is like, hey, let's has this like plot to get Ben Franklin, who nobody knows really who he is, on a boat, send him to England with no money. I, it's just a weird, weird story to me. Maybe he supported uh, his brother. That uh, Maybe. Maybe James got to him. Maybe. It's like one of those weird Netflix documentaries where like someone's conning somebody, but like he gets nothing from Franklin. He like doesn't get money from Franklin. He doesn't get like access to his printing shop. He's just like, let's put Ben on a boat. Bye. Maybe he wanted the <laughs> job that he had. I have no idea. Uh, he would quickly find work in a printing press and continue his self-education in England, by the way. So now he's just chilling in England for a while. Franklin would spend a year and a half there before returning back to Philly in 1727. In 1729, he would buy the Pennsylvania Gazette and make it the most popular print in the colony. At the age of 24, he would become the official printer for the colony of Pennsylvania. He at the same time opened a side shop to his print shop that sold writing utensils and books of all subject matter. So he is quite the entrepreneur. So like a bookstore. Yes. Yeah. And a and a and a uh, print supply shop. He's all he's all about the books. As his business ventures were flourishing, so was his education. He would form a discussion club that would meet every Friday night. The club was called Junto and consisted of men from all walks of life. 1731, he took um, a step uh, took it a step further and created the Library Company of Philadelphia. Members would pay dues to buy and rent books, meanwhile loaning their own collections. Franklin was making reading fashionable. They were like, this reading thing, there's something behind it. This Ben Franklin guy, he's, he's got it right. Maybe we should read more. Yeah, maybe maybe if they read more, the War of 1812 yeah, would have been avoided. In, in, in the defense of the people in 1731, books were very, very expensive back then. Uh, and only pretty much the rich could afford them. Around this time, Franklin would have an illegitimate son, William. Even though his mother was never identified, Ben acknowledged that William was his, and he would raise William with tenderness and care and always consider him his son, which is kind of uncommon back then. Yeah, if you had an illegitimate <clears throat> child in the 1730s, you usually just abandoned it. Yep. And was like, nope, that one's not mine. Uh, Franklin was a little bit different. He then finally married Deborah Reed. Uh, Reed had been married to John Ro Rogers, but John Rogers disappeared. Because Rogers could not be located for purposes of a divorce, Franklin and Deborah Reed contracted a common law marriage. 
that is, by living together, the marriage came to be recognized by custom and common consent. Even though Deborah had limited education and though she was very rarely, uh, very rarely joined Ben in all his endeavors, the two were truly in love. The two would have their first child, Frankie, in 1732, but he is going to die at the age of four. They would have a daughter, Sarah, who he would call Sally in 1743, and she is going to have a good relationship with her father. In 1731, Ben joins the Freemasons. Um, and in 1734, he publishes the Constitution of the Freemasons and is elected the Grand Master of the Lodge. Uh, by 1749, he becomes the Grand Master for all of Pennsylvania. The Masons became a source of companionship for Franklin, who was very social. And the Masons are soon going to replace the church in his life. Franklin became disillusioned at the practices of the church and would write many satires about it. He would kind of he would kind of sour on the idea of uh, organized religion. Printing would remain Prince, uh, Franklin's principal occupation and a steady source of income. He printed official documents, paper currency, news accounts from abroad, and items that he wrote. He would write apology for printers, which he tackled the issues of freedom of speech and press. The main argument was that not everybody will be happy with what is printed, but that is okay. It stirs debate. So he's like, I'm not going to. I don't, he, he basically is saying, I don't believe in not printing something because it may make somebody mad. So, yeah, just. Yeah, he's all about sparking debate and just getting people to think about that. He's just going to print whatever he wants. <clears throat> in 1732, he's going to launch one of his most famous works, which most people know of, Poor Richard's Almanac. In the colonial period, an almanac was a staple in nearly every home. It predicted the weather, recorded major events of the previous year, and gave the phases of the moon and times of the tide. So it's very important for farmers. So they know like when to plant their crops, when to harvest, all that stuff. Um, but if it all, but if all this sounds rather uh, monotonous and humdrum, Franklin enlivened his almanac with witty sayings and insightful proverbs. Not all of these are readily admitted. We're original for why he explained, should he use his bad words when better ones were already at hand. The almanac was intended to be both useful and entertaining. He would sell 10,000 copies of the almanac in Pennsylvania, which is quite impressive because only 15,000 people live there. Wow, that's... So two thirds of the state of Pennsylvania owned his almanac. He must have made like a ton of money. Yes, he did. He is making it. He's making lots of it. Even if he sold them for a dollar, like back then. Uh -huh. that's... that's still a lot of money. Uh, he's going to continue to publish it until 1757. Uh, but still today, some of the wit holds up. He had sayings in there like, love your neighbor, but don't pull down your own hedge. It's like you could like your neighbor, but still keep some distance between so you don't annoy each other, basically. Fish and visitors smell in three days. So if you have people visiting your house and staying with you three days after four, it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Which I kind of agree with. He that falls in love with himself has no rivals. I'm not sure I get that one, <clears throat> but. He didn't trust doctors and say he's a fool who makes his doctor his heir. <laughs> so he believed that doctors were just like. He does have a point back in the 1720s. Yeah, but like today, you know. Today, yes. Wouldn't... You should probably trust doctors a yeah. little bit more than the 1720s where there are two main ways of treating people were bleeding you out. Or cutting. Or cutting something off. off. Yes. 
Or if you had a headache, they drill a hole in your head. I mean, medicine was in the dark ages back then, so he had a right not to trust them. I have a headache. Let's drill a hole in your head and let the blood out. That's what's causing it. Too but, much blood. But my head hurts now. We'll put leeches on you. Get that bad blood out. <laughs> All right. He also continued the comment on religion. Many have quarreled about religion that never practiced it. It's one of his sayings. Another one, none preaches better than the ant, and she says nothing. And then last one, serving God is doing good to man, but praying is thought an easier service. Therefore, it is more easily chosen. So you can kind of see he, he really, the thing that despises him, that he despises the most about the church is when he sees the hypocrisy of it. So like the people that like go to church and they act all sinless and that stuff. And then they leave church and they're out just like beating people and like stealing them and all that stuff. So that that's what really bothers him about it. In 1737, he was appointed as the postmaster of Philadelphia. Uh, this gave him more access to foreign news, which he would use in his newspaper. By 1753, he was the deputy postmaster general and was working to make a mail system that would better serve all the colonies. So you have him to thank for the modern post office. Uh, Franklin's printing business throughout the colonies prospered in the 1740s. The profits provided Franklin with such a comfortable income that in 1748, at the age of 42, he retired from active business as a printer. So he was, he was doing quite well for himself. And like in back then, he probably like retired at would have would have been considered an old age. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was yeah. like 30, forty-two. So. Life expectancy probably was fifty something. Yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. Uh, he would write that retirement brought him leisure to read, study, make experiments, and converse at large with such ingenious and worthy men. So what? He sees retirement as the opportunity to really pursue his interests, learn more and things like that. And that's what we'll talk about next week is all his inventions and his philosophical thoughts. Ben Franklin. Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.